Michael Vaughn one and all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists. The uh, the full fellowship is here this evening. Oh, the fellowship is no longer broken. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> Zach, the Blackheart. <laughs> How are you this evening? <laughs> Black of heart. <laughs> it always like. When I saw that in the chapter, I, I I only thought of Black Lung, and then it took me to Zoolander. <laughs> Black Lung, Merman. Merman, Pop. <laughs> oh, shoot. Love that movie. Anyway. <laughs> Nick and Maddie, how are you this evening? Fine. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and effusive. Very good. Yeah. Well, we have uh we have renewed our commitment to podcasting through the Somerillion, so congratulations. The year twenty fifty six. <laughs> we yeah we did we did hit our our one year uh podversary not that long ago I, I don't actually i think it was before we recorded the previous episode and i don't think we said a word about it happy podversary <laughs> we should have had a cake there we go yeah oh man that would have been amazing cakes. let them yeah. eat cake i want cake yes bunch of cake that'll, that'll be for podversary number two okay. we, of cakes i want a pie when we've got it all figured out when we're professionals oh yeah professionals absolutely cake. it's oh. true <clears throat> it is true so <laughs> we are uh discussing Chapter nine of the Silmarillion, the flight of the Noldor. Well, this time we decided to just jump right into the chapter since we usually chat for like an hour before we start talking about <laughs> the actual book. Yeah. <laughs> but like, let's just start with the book we'll just, first and then, and then banter. I have one thing, and and then y'all won't hear from me again for the rest of the podcast. Um, in the first sentence, he says, "And the Valar said in shadow, for it was night." And I just thought that that was the greatest thing. (laughs) It's really the best time to sit in shadow. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Oh. Oh, it was night. (laughs) It was night. That's why they're in oh. shadow. Okay, cool. Night's like just a big shadow. <clears throat> that's mm-hmm. that's like when when Jesus was tempted in the in the desert and said after forty days he was hungry. He was hungry. <laughs> I know you wouldn't have thought of that, but he was oh, hungry. And for forty days he's hungry. That's pretty impressive though, because in forty days I would have been dead. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Rip. Maybe four days. <laughs> yeah, four it was interest it was interesting rereading this chapter after really so long, because it's been a while since we've done this. 
and I had to like refresh myself on like what happened. I was like, why is it dark? <laughs> why is this happening? Uh, okay, it's been a while. That's what I was speaking of dark. That was why, like, I think I was why it's that that sentence actually, Zach, you're talking about about the world being in shadow was like this was basically the first time that there wasn't some lantern lighting up the yeah. blessed realm, right? They went from the lanterns that got destroyed and then the two trees, which stood for a long time, and now they're destroyed. Now what do they got? Nothing. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a bummer. I'm curious what like y'all over like your overall feeling or thought of this whole chapter. I know Zach has opinions. He said he wasn't gonna say anything else, but I feel like he might. Feanor did nothing wrong. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> Lies and deception. All I see is the sterling character of Feanor. Yeah. He's a He's good boy. courage and decisiveness. <laughs> and he's just stability is another word I'd use. Yeah. <laughs> is it yeah. though? Is it a word that <laughs> no, you maybe not? <laughs> Uh, Are you really committed to that? He really is a blazing beacon of bravery. Uh, Man. He's got his priorities straight. Yeah. That's what we're going to go with. Make the Noldor great again. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Such a depressing chapter. I actually, (laughs) it was interesting. The... I had, I guess I'd never noticed this before, but like, so Feanard makes several speeches in the chapter and the, the like populist angle of everything he says, I just thought was really interesting. And for, for Tolkien, especially to, to write that, um, it's just as interesting because Tolkien would certainly not be a populist, (laughs) uh, I mean, he had he had his own interesting political opinions, but this kind of like pontificating, uh, pressure building type of leader that that Feanor is like, um, kind of, um, you know, forcing his will on the people that follow him. I just think is that was an aspect of Feanor that I hadn't really appreciated until I I reread the chapter for this. To go along. If you read things, what he says, some of the things he says, just kind of out of context. If you just had what he said, you'd be like, "Yeah, man, this is this is good." Like <laughs> this if, is you our didn't, guy. if you didn't have the full picture of what had happened, you'd be, "Man, this guy's he's a leader of men." Like, Ugh, let's go <laughs> build that wall. He's also uh, big into critical race theory, <laughs> and by that I mean. He takes what Morgoth did and he's like, you Valar are all the same. You're oppressors. You're doing all this kind of stuff. And he's like, I'm not going to listen to any of you. Mm. And he he basically is kind of like mm-hmm. treating it. I mean, I don't know if you count it as a race, but whatever. They kind uh, of are. Yeah, sure. So he's he's lumping in a group that really has nothing to do with each other <laughs> other than that they're the same type of being and treating it as um, 
homogenous like beliefs you're, and, and you're all as bad acting. as the baddest guy who hurt me you're yeah. all the the same level of bad as him yeah yeah uh, i was gonna mention about colonizers but it's actually kind of the opposite like they they invited the elves to come to valinor <laughs> they didn't come and take over the elves homeland but yeah. um, it's like reverse colonialism <laughs> that happens too though yeah I mean, I, I think Kosovo is kind of like that. They invited a bunch of Albanians, and then the Albanians like, we don't, we don't want to be. We want our own land now. <laughs> <laughs> I so people I guess, talk, guess. people talk about. Um, well, I, I wasn't sure how deep I wanted to get into this, but you know, people talk about, especially about Lord of the Rings, and they'll be like. Tolkien can't write a complex character. Like everybody's either absolutely good or absolutely evil. And, but then uh, I think, especially in the Silmarillion, really, but really even in Lord of the Rings, there are complicated characters. I mean, like, not like your contemporary, like, anti hero who is in every book ever that somebody writes these days, but people who are like morally complex maybe dealing in shades of gray, sometimes doing something really bad, and then sometimes being like a little bit relatable with how bad they are. Um, I see Feanor kind of that way too, because like he's been through a lot of terrible things and would have reason to feel like the whole world is against him. Now, imagine yourself that you, you are a, a person who's basically deathless um, with incredible creative power. What would you do if you felt the whole world was against you? I, I think you'd go on campaign against uh, all these forces that you think are holding you down. So I scare myself, I think, with how with how much I can identify with parts of Feanor. Um, there's there's something interestingly uh, human about him, I think. I think what's interesting yeah. about Feanor is that he's he is complex like you're saying like i i struggle with like okay he's not really in league with melkor like he's an enemy but yet he's kind of doing melkor's work because he's less lies but not really like he's not just a puppet or a pawn of melkor he has a mind of his own he has his own priorities and it's just i don't know that i find very fascinating reading this story actually for the second and third time is just seeing the complexity in feanor's character because you don't really like hate him he's not yeah. like a hateable bad guy no i hate and him. there is <laughs> it's because you Did got you read that the chapter in you that that's why you hate him you're just ready to brawl uh, I didn't hate him until we got to the to the shipyard. You know? Oh yeah, and and, and that that is an event that changes history. Like, yeah, the kin slaying at Alcalande is like it, it, it's going to come up in like almost every chapter after this. Like it's yeah. a it's a it's a world changing event, and it's ironic actually because because he talks about uh, in one of his speeches and that watch me not be able to find it now. But he talks about um, 
uh, they're going to do things that are going to be talked about the world over, basically. Um, and I'm like, yeah, exactly right. An, an evil event where elves killed other elves um, in a in a senseless war. And like, yes, of course. It's a very it was a prideful thing to say. Here we go. Therefore, I say that we will go on in this in this doom. I add the deeds that we shall do shall be the matter of song until the last days of Arda. And he was right, <laughs> but it was uh, it was evil deeds, not heroic ones. Since we're on it, let's let's you want to talk about Al Alcalande? Um, since we're already talking about it. Do it. So, um, let me get my tissues. <laughs> <laughs> so the Noldor have been kicked out of Valinor, basically. Uh, all these events have happened. Um, I, I, I want to go back. So there's, it's interesting. This chapter has sort of two storylines, one that's Fanor focused and one that's Morgoth focused. And, um, so in the fan or timeline, uh, uh, not really timeline, but storyline, um, the the Noldor are kicked out of um, Valinor. They're not given any help. They're just like walking out, um, and uh, and they come upon the Teleri, who are the elves that didn't really go into Valinor. They were they kind of hung out uh, at the coast. So these are like sea loving elves. <laughs> Uh, so like, you know, there's like elves that live in woods, um, and then elves that love the sea. And so that's, that's these guys. And so they're the ones that make the ships that look like, uh, swans, uh, which we get imagery for that in Lord of the Rings. Um, if you bother watching Rings of Power, <laughs> you'll also see ships, uh, shaped like, uh, shaped like, uh, swans in there too. Um, so, um, so they go there and I think, uh, Fanor wants to try to take the ships, uh, and sail back to Middle Earth. Um, and Olway, who's like the king of the, of the, uh, Teleri doesn't really go for it because nobody trusts Fanor. Like everybody knows he's kind of a bad boy. Um, he's a hothead yeah which ironically right because his name means spirit of fire which i think is just <laughs> also kind of ironic for this event too um yeah there's a great quote I... um Olway when he's when fanor's talking to Olway, um uh, talking about renouncing friendship and Olway says we renounce no friendship but it may be the part of a friend to rebuke a friend's folly and I thought that was so good. I wrote that in my commonplace book. I love that. I was about to say that when you started saying it. Would you care to expand on it? Well, I just, well, obviously it kind of harkens to the proverb, you know, that a, it's like a, just reminds you of how important it is to truly give sound wisdom to your friends. And you see that, Oh, I really does actually care kind of in this. I just thought that was so interesting that he's like, no, I'm actually your friend. I'm trying mm -hmm. to give you a friend's rebuke here. 
I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm not trying to just let you go on your way. And um, I just love the way that it's written. It's so profound. And it does belong in a commonplace book, but you just see the hot-headedness of Feanor kind of coming up there brashly, trying to kind of use his words to convince them in the way that it worked on the Noldor, and it doesn't. And it you could tell that it's just... So then he's kind of blaming them and always like, no, like, I'm your friend. I'm trying to stop you from doing this foolish thing. And it doesn't go well for them. Um, I also couldn't just help but think of how there's always it seems like always in history we just have these like powerful men sometimes women but usually men pop up on scene Mm -hmm. you know and Fanor like Tolkien just does a really good job of writing that type of character I was trying to remember the play I think it was a play that he had written it was like an old English type play. I read it in one of his books. I don't know if he translated it or wrote it, hmm. but it was kind of like I was trying to look. I'll look it up and see if I can find the name of it. But it's a Tolkien piece, and it's just about this warrior that just goes across to fight anyways. He knows that they're all gonna die, and he does it anyways. And it kind of goes to show kind of the folly of that mentality. But at the same time, it's also considered noble. Like you're holding, you're holding to that oath, that warrior's call, the the fighting, you know, giving it all you got, leave nothing on the table, kind of thing. But then yet you see the folly in it, and I just think Tolkien yeah. just does such a good job of showing both intention. That, that you reminds can see me of the the verse from the Psalm. I forget which Psalm, but like. Uh like the one who uh, swears to his own hurt, but doesn't change. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I that just came to mind while you were talking. Oh yeah. And, and just, we're so removed from oath keeping as a culture. Yeah. Like I, for me, it's just like, just break the oath. Just don't go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just words. <laughs> just words. Just don't go. But uh, or, like for marriage it's really a piece of paper been. you signed with the state it doesn't mean anything right yeah that's Just a that's a major oath that... that go ahead oh just words are binding but we don't treat them like that let alone paper contracts let alone covenants you know we just as a culture generally speaking do not don't do that anyway i mean nowadays i'm completely derailing but you get at the point where like you might shake hands with somebody and think it's a done deal and then it's not like but you people always say well back in my day you know you can be able to shake Mm. your hand on it and it's you know as good as paper but (laughs) anyways i just thought that was interesting reading this chapter and then leading up to that with Olwe and seeing how he's trying to stop feanor in his haste i think Mm. there was like a there was a phrase did he say overly hasty or something like that I don't know. He used Tolkien used haste in here in a funny way earlier. I should have underlined it. Tolkien does not like haste. Yeah, it's the <laughs> he end really speaking doesn't. over here. So hasty. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was 
very realistic to historical figures and renowned historical figures i just thought of like alexander the great as one example napoleon napoleon yeah (laughs) yeah i mean just kind of brazen bold overly confident but yet successful character and fanor just embodies that so well well and those are the guys those are the guys that get labeled like great man of history yeah, but they, they actually end up bringing so much destruction, and I would actually yeah. say the great the great man of history is the one who like faithfully trudges through his his occupation and continues to hold down his culture, you know, and the stability of his community. Those are the nameless men and women, right? That this is that's everybody everybody a uh, a woman's occupation as well as men's, uh, perhaps even more of a woman's occupation, you know, keeping things keeping things steady on the home front while all the men go off to war. But the great, the great men of history are the ones that wage the wars and, and get the men killed. Um, I'd love to see it be the opposite. The closer we are to it, the less we tend to, because Adolf Hitler is another one. We tend to be like, not so much Napoleon. Everybody's kind of like, eh, he's not really great, but, and then when we go back to Alexander, great, we're like, yeah, yeah, what a guy. <laughs> so, Dark but the closer the we are to it, the more we have an experience of somebody who's doing that kind of thing. It's kind of like, it's not great. He has a way of, of smoothing the rough edges. Yeah. Genghis. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Chinggis Khan, or how are we like, supposed like to say it? I'm calling him Genghis Khan until the day I die. He'll always be Genghis to me. It should it should honestly be a little bit scary that like there's a whole nation of people that sing about him still all the time, <laughs> like that that's kind of nerve wracking actually. Like, yeah. th- that guy like ran a third of the world at one point. <laughs> like, uh, don't anybody try to take up his mantle? Don't don't yeah. soak his grave. Ooh, you're starting to sound like ooh, dispensational <laughs> and nar. This is a reformed podcast. This is where this is where antichrists come from. <laughs> <laughs> that voice behind. Where did that voice come from? <laughs> from the antichrist. Yeah. Wow. I got a million of them, man. Speaking of faithful, quiet, working women, those wives and daughters who made the sales of those yeah. boats legit. I was sure you were going to say something about Galadriel. So, so based. Oh, no. Yeah, Galadriel is pretty sweet. Ugh. I could see her angsty self, you know, like from the Rings of Power. This is I like what, seen what I have seen. That, yeah, th- this yeah. is her, right? Th- That's what th- she this is her angst era right yeah. here. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is like this is the, the mode she should have been in for that show. Like yeah. ambitious. Um, looking for a place to like leave her mark, um, mm-hmm. not a genocidal uh, maniac, <laughs> like not a Mary Sue. Like this is like teenage, like teenage energy here. Uh, and, and oh, doggone it! That book, um, the uh, crap. I I own it. It's right there. But um, the one the there's the book about like the. In your hobbit uh, it, hole. Yeah, actually, uh, 
Nah, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I need to go across the Hobbit hole to get it uh, over over by the uh, the casks of old Winyard. Uh, but uh, it, it talks about different aspects of uh, I think it's called the nature of Middle Earth. Anyway, it talks about different aspects of like the aging of the world. And um, a part of it is like how elves grow up, like their maturity cycle, like how many um how many potentially centuries it takes for somebody to go from like um like middle school age type to like teenage to adult maturation uh both like physically as well as like mentally spiritually whatever is like so long of a period of time and so i think about that for for Galadriel here like um so eager to to go and make her mark she has so many years to carry on that that type of of an enterprise because she's an elf um and not a and not a, a man not man's kind uh just be interesting if tolkien had written something had written it differently like what kind of a what kind of what middle earth would be like if that that kind of of Galadriel had won out over the Galadriel who's in Lord of the Rings, who is more level-headed, um, willing to live in uh, um, um, oh good grief, I'm blanking on on her realm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm too many thoughts going through my head at once. Anyway, I um, think it is Lothlorien. Yeah. Lothlorien. There we go. I was yeah. gonna say Lorien. I'm like, that's short. Maddie that's said too it first, short. by the way. Good job. Good job. I whispered it unconfidently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lothlorien. So, like, very much like a, a a small hidden realm. Like, she wanted to run a kingdom, like a Gondor type of type of place. What would have happened if she had been queen of a kingdom like Gondor or or even Gondolin? Um, just it would just would have been very interesting, I think. And w- would she have been a good queen? I don't know. No. Probably not. I think she had too much Noldor in her. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I really don't think she would have been a good queen. No. I think her woods was enough. Yeah. So it's just some excitedly wild speculation on my part. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder where she was in all of this. She's not really brought up necessarily. So, in, um, Finrod was with Turgon. His, um, so in my, in my copy, Galadriel's mentioned at the bottom of page eighty-three. So Finrod was with Turgon, his friend, but Galadriel, the only woman of the Noldor to stand that day, tall and valiant among the contending princes, um. So she's already learning to like keep up with the boys. Um, was eager to be gone. Uh, no oaths she swore, which is key. So she doesn't fall in uh, with the oath of Feanor falling under that particular doom that they s- swore on themselves, aside from the doom that Mandos put on, on the Noldor as a whole. Um, so no oaths she swore, but the words of Feanor concerning Middle-earth had kindled in her heart I think kindled is a very interesting word to use again, giving the, uh, with the, with the meaning of Feanor's name, spirit of fire. She's kind of perhaps beginning her own spirit of fire right there. Um, 
The words of Fanor concerning Middle-earth had kindled in her heart, for she yearned to see the wide, unguarded lands and to rule there a realm at her own will. Of like mind was Gladriel with Fingon, Fingolfin's son, being moved also by Fanor's words, though he loved him little. And with Fingon stood, as they ever did, Angrod and Agnor, sons of Fenarfin, but these held their peace and spoke not against their fathers. So there's like this faction of Galadriel with those guys to be like, we'll follow Feanor, but we won't follow Feanor. So like, we're not down with his program, but we are going to follow with the train and head to Middle Earth and see what, what we can carve out. I mean, if everybody else is doing it. That's right. You know, you got to do it too. Well, and and if you're if you're banned from Valinor because you're Noldor, then you you have a you don't really have a choice. It's been forced on you. Like we've got to go. So these guys are revving and ready to go. Uh, we'll go with them then. You know, and then what happens when they reach Middle Earth? You know, is what happens. Um, they could break fellowship there too. Because the elves are already used used to being sundered anyway. You know. Uh, all the different factions kind of live in their own, even in even in the the blessed realm, uh, they still kind of live separately from each other anyhow. So it wouldn't be that much different once they got to Middle Earth. Uh, any other uh, any other thoughts on the uh, the Feanor side of this chapter? Because I just have a few things I want to talk about with Morgoth. For me, uh, just. The killing of his father, which happened earlier in the chapter, was yeah. just a very interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Going going from, especially that part where Mandos, like, I think it was Monway and, um, who was it? Yavanna was saying that she could remake the light again if she just had had some of the silver rolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, Monway is like, well, why don't you do it? And he's like, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, it was interesting that right after that, he didn't even know that that they had been stolen yet, mm-hmm. or yeah. that are being stolen. Maybe at that time, he thought he had a bargaining chip. Yeah, and then he They're said that if he let if he let them go, his heart like it would kill him essentially, and he'd be the first yeah. one to die and mondo said not the first and i read that and i was like who died already <laughs> <laughs> and then you read what then you read a couple, yeah then you read a couple more sentences down and you realize oh his like at this time it's like melkor is there taking over the summer world. and i just thought that was so endearing i guess mm-hmm his grieving over his father and how much yeah. that affected him because he does yeah. seem like he's a very selfish yeah guy he really but loved yet, his father yeah he really loved his father and so i don't know i just because he and he lost his mother this, tragically yeah before, this chapter is really sad but extremely rich mm-hmm. um and i was actually kind of surprised by that because i remember reading it the first time and it just it hits different when you read it the second time. <laughs> no cap, for real. No cap, it really does. And there's just so much yeah. written, like with the oaths and the. 
don't know. Oats and it dooms. Just, yeah, it's just such rich writing. It, it just, it's like, man, where does Tolkien get the stuff? Like, yeah. it's just. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Like, and with Feanor, like, where he says, like, giving up the Silmarils would, like, kill my own heart. And yet he's more than willing to kill so many Teleri and then burn the ships so they can't leave and then hike out over the ice. Like, you, you are special. Or or when uh when Mandos um pronounces the doom and then he's like, Oh yeah, well I'll add my own doom then. <laughs> like it's not enough. Like I have to also do this myself. Uh he's like shooting himself in the foot uh, at every turn. Just a destructive guy. He takes yeah, he, he takes after Morales. Yeah, a destructive guy who's insanely creative and powerful. <laughs> We've never heard that archetype before, have we? <laughs> right. Sounds like Nick. <laughs> That's me. To a T. Um, I don't know. The, I, I'm kind of intrigued. I think there's like a, and I know like this is how people talk now, but like there's kind of like a trauma cycle with Fanor, like he think so things that happened to him at at Morgoth's hand he, so he goes into that position that that you mentioned Nick that's sort of like a uh, um uh, uh a critical race theory type uh type spiral um and then he then he begins acting just like his abuser uh in like forcing so what's your, his will. what you're saying is that this is just a trauma response <laughs> it's a generational curse. That's what it is. It's trauma response. <laughs> it's misunderstood. Poor Feanor. Yes, he did nothing exactly. wrong. It's, it's not his fault. He did nothing wrong. It happened to Zach, him. You get it now. Yeah, I get it now. So he takes very more gothy type actions on the people who follow him, uh, yeah. especially on his sons. And then his sons go further on than into the story and do terrible things to other people that are very more gothy. So like Morgoth, despite how much he hate how much uh Feanor hated Morgoth, he really acts so much like him and makes other people act like him too. Hmm. I don't know what to take away from that, but <laughs> well it's it's just interesting how as humans we're so prone to that. Hating evil and yet being evil. And so often, like, you brought up the critical race theory and all that kind of stuff. Like, we tend to respond to evil with evil. Oh, yeah. It's like, we, you think you're in the right, but you're really not. And Tolkien mentions a few times, at least in this chapter, that he's listening to Morgoth's lies. Like, he's yeah. saying mm -hmm. stuff, and he's believing it, mm -hmm. but he's following Morgoth's lies. And, uh, and, and he keeps meditating just... on him too. Like Morgoth yeah. tells him a lie, he remembers it and comes back to it again and again and again. And, and it's interesting how he doesn't like he hates Morgoth. He wants to kill him, but he distrusts the Valar. But they're the <laughs> only ones that have been true to him. But he's yeah. like, yeah, and so they're the, the only same ones that have... race, they're yeah. the same yeah. kind of people. He lumps them all together. Systematic treachery. 
Listen, no door lives matter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and the, yeah. We can keep going with that metaphor. We'll just let it end here for now. <laughs> okay, so a little bit a little bit about Morgoth, because he, he certainly had some things happen to him this chapter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was especially interested in his um his dealings with Ungolian. Um and I still I'm like this is like my third time reading the Silmarillion at least. I still can't get a handle on what Ungoliant really is. And I actually I actually think Ungoliant might be more powerful than uh than Morgoth is. Because Morgoth is the most powerful of the Valar and he's kind of like powerless against her. Um yeah. she can like waylay him and make him uh make him treat with her instead of running away. Um she pins him down and is ready to kill him. And I think if it weren't for his Balrogs, she would have killed him easily. Yeah, that was a fascinating story. Yeah. Like, for the Balrogs rescuing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just the evil <laughs> With evil, I'm yeah. just so fascinating. Evil She's almost like evil. the like an embodiment of like a black hole. Mm-hmm. Just the depiction <laughs> of her eating like the jewels, like in the beauty, and it just yeah, she's getting more powerful by feasting and and utterly destroying. Like they're just forgotten, they're gone. And then Isn't she and called the an unlight with... at one point. Yeah. Probably well, yeah. the unlight, like the opposite of light. Yeah, she, but she's like that's what she was producing, right? Yeah, that's she's right. a devourer. Like it's, it's so yeah, it's it's evil. Like Morgoth, like he has like a a will more like a plan. She's just like there to like devour all that is light and good. Her, her god is her belly, and I'm pretty sure that Tolkien like hates spiders. Morgoth is pride, and Angoliant is gluttony. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what's what's her, Feanor? Greed. Well, is pretty gluttonous. You can't yeah. get much more gluttonous than so much <laughs> wanting to eat that you just consume yourself. <laughs> uh, she's the beast. She's the beast of wokeness. Just yeah, devours just continually herself. consume until there's nothing left. It's more than just Gucci purses. <laughs> but um, it's not less than that. But not less, not less than a Gucci purse. Um no, Yeah, I, so I I listened to uh um part of of the chapter in the uh circus audiobook. And I loved uh I loved his voicing for her. Yes. Uh, it was very animalistic um and desperate kind of sounding. Which she does yeah. kind of sound desperate, like like give give me with both hands, right? And then he, he gives her the the bounty from uh um from Feanor's dad's house and she's like, Oh, you only gave me with the left hand, I want the right too. Um and it's some of it was like showing her power over him, like I can command you to give me what I want. But also kind of that like gluttonous desperation. Like mama's gotta eat, you know. (laughs) Never satisfied. 
Yeah, Nick, you're pretty right on with that gluttony thing. There was Agreed. a so there was a Nick YouTube video. I... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Takes one to know one. What's the last thing you ordered at Arby's? Oh man, not the Meat Mountain. <laughs> one day you'll be brave enough to get the Meat Mountain. Yeah, someday. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> um, yeah, but what about this? Like <laughs> that episode with with uh, Morgoth and the Summeril and Ungoliant. Like how he has to hold it and it like burns his hand. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting too. Is like he's he's able it burns him, but he's able to mm. have them and wants them. Like yeah. that's. I think very unique. Yeah, he had to hold them. They had to be in something. Um, he held it. So even even though they were encased, they still hurt his hand, and he was actually clenching onto them harder because of the pain. Uh, then he puts them in the crown later, and the crown it like becomes so heavy and galling to him that he can like not really move. <laughs> like he's yeah. like pained by it. Uh, the... He needed an infinity gauntlet. <laughs> Why didn't he think of that? Yeah, <laughs> just pop him could've, in there. Do you think he could have snapped Ungoliant out of existence <laughs> if he had that? He probably maybe that's what happened to her. <laughs> so I have a question about the Silmarils. Do they do anything? No, there's no practical value to them. They are pure uh, art. Yeah. You sound so utilitarian. Well, that's what I was thinking is that. <laughs> Do they give me powers? There are no Americans in the Silmarillion. <laughs> you know, they're not, <laughs> they're not like practical. It's like, no, we're going to do this for art. Stones, you know, yeah. the Silmarils for Silmarils sake. Uh, you know, like it, it's just beauty. It's not, there's not a use or a, practicality to them that that causes that desire right just beauty yeah even though they contain light they're not used for lanterns you know they're like they're just they're beautiful and they're also like a totem of a bygone era yeah like oh there are no trees the only thing left of the trees are the silmarils Sorry, I, I ran over you there. What'd you say? Oh, I just said they belong in a museum. <laughs> you would say that. Uh, you and my but, uncle, Indiana. But it's also yeah. not just beauty. I know you don't mean it like that, but I, it's like <laughs> it's like Tolkien's way of like pointing out the beauty of true light. And how it's so much more—it's almost powerful in and of itself, yeah. which is why I just think it's so strange that Morgoth, who's evil, would even want to be in their presence. But it's—it's it's a different kind of beauty, I guess. It's not like God's holiness type beauty. It's like more earthly, I guess. I—I I wonder if it's—if it's. If it's there's intrinsic value in them simply because of their beauty. And even though Morgoth knows he can't change them, 
but if he were to to continue to possess them uh nobody else could behold them it would be like destroying them uh just because he can't he can't destroy them so uh, he can keep them close and nobody else can admire them i guess I think he uh, invented brutalist architecture. Yeah, probably. Well, that's the thing, too, that I I think I just have always I don't know what you would label this as, but I've always tended to see things like black and white or at least expect things to be black and white. Like it always would confuse me when it was like people that I knew that believed in a false religion would be like nice like wait oh. you don't you believe in a false religion why are you nice why are you good mm-hmm. like why are you doing good things yeah and it's obviously i kind of matured and understood it's more complicated than that but in the same way beauty is still attractive even to evil mm-hmm. so you can have wicked rulers mm-hmm. who still admire and appreciate beauty mm-hmm. and yeah it's you could. interesting. You but could you can also have the ones who brutalist yeah, architecture. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because we just stylistically we tend to do that. It kind of tells part of the story when we have a movie or a narrative. You know, it's like <clears throat> very rarely do you have a delicate decorated abode for <laughs> some evil villain you know like it's just usually not except dracula maybe did did y'all watch uh daredevil which one not mcu but the netflix series oh yeah the the kingpin is yeah i think of maddie describes that he's absolutely brutal but he's loves beautiful things yeah just like refined like a refined gentleman who yes. can also like crush your skull with one hand yeah it's that's yeah, part that's... of why i didn't watch the show anymore when they started crushing skulls i was like all right i'm out <laughs> slamming a guy's head in the door bye yeah that's <laughs> when i started watching extra hard <laughs> right so did my husband oh this is so good oh rewind that <laughs> let's see the squish again <laughs> That's too much, Lee. Yeah, you, you must watch UFC. I do like a I do like a good fight. I'm just too cheap to buy the the access. Fair enough. Um, on Ungoliant, I, I I'm beginning to fall down a, a rabbit hole because there is a there are people, especially on YouTube, that are are s- like somewhat kind of linking some of the unexplained creatures of Middle Earth. Uh, linking them with um, some Lovecraftian uh, type angles of like the the old ones, you know, the the great old ones uh, of like um, really like scary and unsettling, maddening uh, creatures that are beyond our comprehension that will that will sometimes peek into our world to do some horrible thing and then pull back. So like Ungoliant. Um, the Watcher in the Water from uh, Fellowship of the Ring uh, are two of what uh, are often called the nameless things. I think it's Gandalf uh, talking about like the 
nameless things in the dark places of the world that really nobody knows, not even he knows, um, that there are like hidden, unknowable horrors uh, in the world um, that you want to stay away from and hope that when they do <laughs> inject into the world at random times that they're not doing that anywhere near you. Um, of course, the like ring Tom brought Bombadil. out. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the named horrors. Man, I love Tom Bombadil. I'm a Tom. I'm a Bombadil stand man. Bombadillo. He and he and Goldberry are like marriage goals, except for their courtship. That was a little icky, but but they're they're like Middle Earth's power couple. So anyway, the, those were all my uh, all my powerful thoughts on this chapter. Anybody have any anything else before we transition to miscellany? I did kind of have thoughts when I was similar to what you were talking about, the Ungoliant and being, being like weird creatures. It just kind of made me thought of like, it was a weird thought in my head, but like I imagine like Jurassic Park, like. It just kind of gave me those vibes, oh. you know, like because we have Go like off, queen. fossils. We have these like fossils of like huge creatures, even just normal creatures that are massive, giant sloths, yeah. huge snakes, just huge centipede, like horrible Be beaver that dams like the size of me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes larger, but like just That's and a then callback. the what we would call the dinosaurs you know those creatures like i just it just was making me think of like what would that what would that have been like walking in the woods in the forest in whatever regions that you're in and having these huge creatures mm -hmm. um it just when it was talking about ungoliant and then her offspring and the spiders yes. and stuff that was kind of making me think of it just kind of imagine it like Jurassic Park a little bit like because mm -hmm. we don't really do that anymore. There's there's not really other than like grizzly bears and some large cats mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. For the most but, part, maybe if you encounter a moose, he might attack you. But we don't really walk through yeah. the woods like expecting it snatched by something. Yeah. So easily. You're usually you're about give something. alligators some credit. All right. Yeah, alligators. I live in Louisiana. I should give them some credit. <laughs> yeah, give them some credit. I don't but usually we are thinking about that somebody. way if you were in Africa, though. You'd probably be not <laughs> like you'd probably be like, is there a yeah. lion in the world? Well, Australia is yeah. like maybe Australia is like Middle Earth a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean you'll get Australia just straight up is Middle Earth. <laughs> spiders as big as a German Shepherd, you know, or something something crazy like that. Could you imagine? I would die. I die. I'm just looking at why? it. Why would we imagine that? <laughs> Maybe you can have like spider trainers. You can like have them pull a sled. Just... What were those? What uh... were those spidery crab things that are in uh, Way of Kings? What were they called? Chulls? Yeah, I think they're crabs, not spiders. But I don't yeah, know they're they're more crab-like. But, but they're like the the like draft the horses chapters, of, of that magical world. <laughs> They like pull carts and uh, yeah. people ride them to get places. Just like yeah. big, big crabs. Yeah. 
<laughs> Way to go, Sanderson. It's kind of like the uh, Silt Striders in Morrowind. Uh, what? The, the game. Yeah. They, they ride like these big like flea things. <laughs> I'm not a gamer, but I can bring like a, up some from 15 years ago. Like or a like morgue. Ant-Man. We yeah. saw your setup earlier, Nick. You're definitely a gamer. <laughs> True. Oh, shoot. But anyways, that was my thoughts. It just made me think of dinosaurs and large flying creatures and sea monsters and all those things that did legitimately exist and probably still do today. Dragons. Dragons. I wish, I mean, I'm glad that I'm not going to get burned up by a dragon when I walk outside, but I kind of wish dragons were like, <laughs> legit. Dragons Good were exactly dragons, the reason so. why I started playing Skyrim. <laughs> now Great we game. just need to mention all the other El- uh, Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Oblivion. Yeah, two of them. I played Oblivion. Yeah. That's the only yeah, Oblivion's one Oblivion's the one I know the most. Yeah, but I would turn on the di- I would turn the difficulty to easy anytime I went to a cave. Because <laughs> I was afraid of the zombie things that were in the cave. I was like, no, nope, uh, not about that life. So I'd go do like a quest on easy, like, yeah, on easy, and then come out of the cave <laughs> and like put it back on normal. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I did it for the horses, though. Like I'll be honest. Yeah. I could get the horses and I just ride the horses throughout the realm and it was pretty amazing. That's basically yeah. like when I played like Red Dead Redemption 2, purple. that's all I did. Like I just went to go catch horses and train them, like shooting people and finding uh villages and stealing money. No, no, no. I, I just want I just got all the horses. You were a horse lord. I was a horse lord. <laughs> a Roharine. Congratulations. Yep. I feel like the first two sentences, I'm not the first two, the last two sentences of the first paragraph really set the stage for the rest of the story. <laughs> like, Tell us. There was, Tell us in your dulcet tones. Then many voices were lifted in lamentation. Oh. And it seemed to those that mourned, they had drained to the dregs the cup of woe that Melkor had filled for them. But it was not so. Oh, man. Imagine being the guy that wrote those lines and you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about to get real sad. You you like you put your fountain pen down and it's like the tip is on fire. Like, <laughs> I got this. Yeah. Just I'm going to write tragedy. <laughs> for the next 300 pages. I write sins, not tragedies. Oh. oh man. Oh, oh man. I chimed in with slouch people never heard of. I don't care and... what it says. I still love that song. <laughs> Is this the miscellany conversation we intended to have? <laughs> About emo? Midwest emo. <laughs> Actually, I don't think they are technically Midwest emo, but that seems to be the trend now. I have no idea. Is, is that like is that an actual subgenre of emo? Yes, Midwest emo. Yes. Wow. Okay. It's more than just uh, 
Um, <laughs> they uh, say big. angrier. They say big. In the... I, I always thought Midwest emo was oh. just Hawthorne Heights because of Ohio is for lovers. But apparently it is a whole like subgenre and it's very like sad and edgy and kind of hard. Sort of like Ohio. <laughs> you got that right. Florida it's emo sad. was just sad. <laughs> Not edgy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> We're emo experts. Yeah, I'm not foremost. We our our formative years were in the the golden age of emo. Yeah, Mm. I guess I literally read a book about the history of emo. Really? I read. Yeah. Yes. You would. (laughs) Why? (laughs) It was it was pretty good. Um, and just kind of told the history. Uh. From the basement? Doesn't sound right. There's actually quite a few. Nothing feels good. Punk rock teenagers. Interesting. Andy Greenwald from 2003. Yeah, I read it like then. (laughs) At the height of emo. He didn't even get to see it. While shallow celebrities dominate the headlines, pundits bemoan the death of the music industry, and the government decries teenagers for their morals or lack thereof. Earnest, heartfelt bands like Dashboard Confessional, Woop Woop, Jimmy Eat World, Woop Woop, and Thursday are quietly selling hundreds of thousands of albums through dedication, relentless touring, and respect for their fans. This relationship between young people and the empathetic music that sets them off down a road of self-discovery and self-definition is emo, a much maligned, mocked, and misunderstood term that has existed for a very long time. Emo saved wow. America and probably destroyed it. If if self-definition is part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that some... was a time bomb. <laughs> but the music industry got saved, so that's good. Yeah. Until they became wow. sellouts and then they weren't cool anymore. Yeah. Well, you just <laughs> have to listen, listen to, to them. The... Yeah. Once they sell out, then it's like you gotta move on to ska then. Yes. You have to you have to be at that right level where people are like, oh wow, that's very impressive, but also not just like garbage. They have to be people who are coming up and becoming big, but before they actually are. Yeah. Paramore was a great example of that, I think. Because they really started not doing well <clears throat> after uh they were on the uh uh um, the soundtrack for Twilight. <laughs> that was the beginning of the end for Paramore. I hope that that was the beginning of the end for everybody that was on that soundtrack. <laughs> Including Robert Pattinson himself? Yes. Dashboard did a song for uh, Spider-Man 3. Love okay. that song. Vindicated. Vindicated. Spider-Man yeah. 3 was... That okay. guy's voice is so high. Like I tried so hard to sing that song with the record. It was way it was too high for even me. I couldn't handle it. But I I love that song. <laughs> but nothing feels good. I read it probably 20 years ago. Wow. 
a little maybe a little less than that. But... I don't like that math. <laughs> no, I don't either. Yeah, unfortunately I was forged somewhat through email, so yes. It's not it's not the worst of memories, but it's I, was... I remember being a loser. So <laughs> it makes sense that I listened to email. <laughs> Lee, shut your ears. Sometimes I go back and I listen to it and it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. It's it's hey, guess funny. what? It wasn't that great then. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's too. Like I just listened and I'm like, man, I really felt like this was like explaining my life. And I was so dramatic. Like, shut up. And then the See? titles were like chapter yeah. length yeah stupid like, little 16 year old me thought like my life was so rough i had no idea <laughs> sort of like what tolkien wrote in this chapter <laughs> <laughs> you thought it's it true. was bad you thought this is as bad as it's gonna be but you were wrong <laughs> it's wrong <laughs> it's gonna be much worse yeah <laughs> When it's you, so when you hard went... not to be like that to like teenagers or whatever <laughs> they're like experiencing their first like minor heartbreak you're the simpsons <laughs> meme right <laughs> where, he's, where he's telling bart this is oh, the yeah. worst day okay. worst day so yeah. far so far <laughs> <laughs> i i listened to a super cut of uh all the emo songs that uh, refer to leaving this town. <laughs> and wow. it was like, like a two minute video uh, and there were no repeats. It was all songs that used the phrase, leave this town. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. It was awesome. It's like, it's like there was chat GPT before chat GPT. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I left I the town that I lived in. You did. I did it. Live, I'm living the emo dream right now. Yeah, you, you fulfilled your emo <laughs> destiny. So did I, actually. I did. That's probably why I was all angsty to leave. Blame it on emo songs. <laughs> yeah. Get out of this town. <laughs> the one th and the other thing state. you left behind it was the emo bangs. <laughs> Those were over quick. Or just the black hair in general. Super greased. Yeah, I think the only one of us here that could still do that would be Maddie. Yeah. yeah. I definitely am not doing the best. Like get the hair to like cover the one eye. You had to be like <laughs> Yeah. And put a bow yes, on the part. <laughs> That's the look. It is. It... That's it. I'm back That's to 2003. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, wow! And then yeah, every time I'd have to talk, I'd have to be like, "What? <laughs> Are you talking to me?" <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! <sighs> I'm definitely listening to emo today. Yeah, so good. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. I do That's think uh, Welcome to the Black Parade is our generation's Bohemian Rhapsody. Hmm. 
Uh, it is. It totally is. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's good. I don't know it, that it, that would, it's it's not no, it's not on the same level, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying it's the it's that it's that kind of song for our generation. I think like a long, operatic esque type uh, type production. I guess like high concept over the top and to like to universally beloved man come on i had to look it up when because i was just thinking like i don't really know i knew it was my chemical romance but it was that's like after my emo era mm-hmm. uh, that my was emo era was like 2003 to 2005 and once i went to college oh my gosh i was just I graduated college in 2004 yeah, well, okay, Grant. Because you're old, Grandpa. We know. I was uh, in college during your formative years. Wow. <laughs> That's Dude. when I, I, I switched to like... Memento Mori. Like, basically like indie rock music. And yeah. became a different person. Is that when, <laughs> when you listen to Dave Matthews? I never listened to Dave Matthews. No, Dave that was Matthews below me. was so big when I was in college. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I never liked Dave Matthews or U2. U2 is, See, I is love U2. the single worst band of all time. No. Hard, I'd rather listen disagree. to John Lennon songs hard than disagree. U2. I love no that way. Lee was like, I love U2. And you're I like, love U2. Worst band. <laughs> those those edge good. guitars, I, I can't get enough. Ugh. The twinkly... Okay. Twinkly guitars with no attack album? whatsoever. Some of those songs are pretty iconic because they were played so often. But I didn't. I just never liked U two. <clears throat> I never saw the the pull. It wasn't my jam. Right, However, I did such. I did such a stark, like one eighty with my music listening. I went from listening to like Metallica and Corn to like. Well, then System of Down, which is still pretty classic. Yes. And then eventually the emo stuff, because my friends were really into emo, and they would make me the CDs. They would burn me CDs. Oh, man, I love the burn the burning CD. Yeah, CD I still days. have some, and they're all, like, written in the little, like, girly, bubbly lettering that my friend had. They're just very classic yep. 2000s. Yep. And then, like, college age... I think it was like when I, I don't know. I think we've talked about this before, but like Nelly Furtado and stuff oh like that. Gosh. Like <laughs> the new stuff that she did. Cause I remember there was such a when she got nasty. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the word you're looking for is promiscuous. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. When she became yeah. a promiscuous girl. I was such a sweet summer child. Like I did not think of that song in that way at all. And it, literally singing the word. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't listen to the lyrics. Okay, I just like the music. That's so funny. That's one thing that blows my mind. Like I think I'm the only person in the world that actually listens to lyrics of songs, and everybody else is just like, "Oh man, I just love this music." And I'm like, "Have you listened to yeah. what they're saying?" At I all? do now. Like, I've, but I've done that since I was a kid. Like I was okay. like, I've always 
heard the words first, I guess. I don't know. I often misheard lyrics a lot. In fact, there was an 80s song. Oh, uh, Fine Young Cannibals had a song. Oh, yeah. And it says, she drives me crazy. And I have this vivid memory of driving to school in the morning. I think it was going preschool or kindergarten. My dad was taking me in his turquoise colored Geo Metro. Wow. Ten can on wheels. I remember those cars. Listening to that song, and I heard in my head, she's trash can crazy. (laughs) And I (laughs) envisioned in my head some lady living in a trash can. Like, to this song. That's just a better song. Yeah. Yeah. It was a 20-something. I heard it. I'm like, Yeah. That one. I was like, I don't understand why they sing that lady in trash can. I can't hear that without hearing it being sung by like the Muppets. <laughs> that's how I, I hear that song. It could that's be probably why. Song. It was probably like Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, Oscar the Grouch. That's probably Even in a trash can. <clears throat> my brain did that. I think it was Miss Piggy. But well, she's Oscar the Grouch crazy. does live in a trash can. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, she she's trash can crazy, so she could sing it. But I definitely miss, yeah, so I definitely misheard a lot of lyrics in my life. When I became a mother, that was like, when you, and your kids are starting to sing songs and you're like, wait Whoa, a second. what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> or you funny. go to turn on like the 90s hits radio. Don't do it. Like, Let's listen to this kids. This is what I grow up to. And you're like, they let us like, dance Oh, I love song that song, My grade. So-Called Life. <laughs> <laughs> wait, never mind. We're going to turn this off. <laughs> third eye blind every time yeah. semi charm semi charm yeah. kind of life my semi charm life oh man that's such a bad song that is a terrible song. song that is i probably such a good taking song. sips of it through my nose what <laughs> you did what i probably would have thought that was like dr pepper because i can't tell you many times i accidentally like got dr pepper on my nose <laughs> i'm just too too naive growing up which was good Naivete is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up, up to uh, a certain on age. like 80s and 90s CCM. So I was like Amy Grant, Sandy Patty, yep. Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, all my the mom big was, names. My yeah. mom was huge in Amy Grant and Margaret Becker. Yeah. And uh, I listened to the Jars of Clay and that's really all I was allowed to listen to for the first. But Amy Grant is a harlot. years of my life. She wasn't then. That was a long time ago, Lee. <laughs> yeah, she might have yeah. been, but we didn't know about it. And now there's the drag queen Flamey Grant, Ugh. who hangs out with uh, Derek Webb wearing a dress. It is sad. He likes I love memes him. though. So, I loved Derek Webb's solo album, the Mockingbird <laughs> album. Mm-hmm. I had that on full repeat, uh, junior year of high school. Mm. Yeah, it's it's sad to see what's happened to him, and just in and, general. And, I mean, no, I know. And Sufjan but... Stevens coming out of the closet too. Yeah, that was that kind of that hurt, stung. It, however, <clears throat> it did make the. Uh, the wasps at the Palisades song make a lot more sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from Illinois. 
man. I oh, uh, was kind of gay. I pre-ordered that album. <laughs> Did you the know? Illinois one. Like yeah, I, I was huge Suit oh, Count fan. Love that I like album. pre-ordered it. I I had <clears> it, you know, the day it came out or whatever. Um, so I, I was over at my brother's house and we turned it on on his uh on his speaker system at his house and we sang the the song Chicago what? word for word. We hadn't listened to it in years and still remembered every word of yeah a big single on there Chicago. I know mm. that. I, I know it all. Great, but I don't. I, it makes me sad now to kind of to all listen to go. it when, yeah, all, <laughs> all things go. Yeah, we had our mindset. You can tell the two people that don't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Y'all missed yeah. out. Uh, but I know. Also... I know who he is. I've heard some of his stuff, but not very much. I'm the kind of person that rarely recognizes like a band or artist. I just know I the think music. You recognize that song, the Chicago song. Yeah, if you played the song, I would probably know it. I think you would. I, I learned to play Casimir Pulaski Day on guitar. That was how much I loved that album. My favorite mm. on that album was John Wayne Gacy. Oh, um, so good. The one where he's talking oh. about these, and then he basically he's saying like. I'm really just like my him. sin is also, you know, like I, I yeah. sin just like oh. he does equating it. And, yeah. uh, and then he goes, look beneath the boards <laughs> for the secrets I have hid. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. Such a good song. Yeah. I, who there would have was... ever thought an album for the state of Illinois, and one of the songs on it is about a serial killer. <laughs> That's the best one. It's a great track. Yeah. It's so good. And you guys should start a podcast about it. <laughs> we have for about the last, what, 15, 20 minutes here. That's what I'm saying. You already got material. A Sufjan, a Sufjan cast. <laughs> Uh, all right any other miscellaneous items well this has been fun till next time may monway keep you in the one and peace out <laughs>